We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now it's time for Inside the Clubhouse, a show dedicated to the Chicago baseball fan, featuring the best Chicago baseball conversation, as well as the big MLB topics, along with the biggest names, greatest guests, and listener interaction, starring score baseball insider Bruce Levine and half of Chicago's number one sports morning show, David Haw, on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com, and always live on the free Odyssey app, presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Good Saturday morning, Chicago. Welcome back inside the clubhouse on 670 The Score and your free Odyssey app, broadcasting live from the Hyundai Score Studios. I am David Haw, along with Bruce Levine, warming up your winter morning, talking baseball like we do every week, this week wondering whether there's a future for the South Loop Hitmen and whether the Cubs are ever going to belly back up to the bar. Good morning, Bruce. How are you? Good morning, David. I'm hanging in there, and uh, we're not that far away from spring training. Looking forward to some trips down to Arizona and watching the White Sox and Cubs get ready. But what will those teams look like? Will the Chicago White Sox have more additions? Certainly, we're expecting, and many of the baseball experts out there are expecting, more additions to the Chicago Cubs. We'll be talking about that with you at 312-644-6767. David, Let's jump right into the uh, the Chicago White Sox and their pursuit of a new ballpark. I was not shocked to hear this. The first rumblings we heard about this was going back to the winter meetings with uh, Jerry Reinsdorf meeting with the mayor of Nashville and understanding that the news was out there that by 2029, the lease that the Chicago White Sox have with uh, their ballpark at 35th and Dan Ryan will be up and the White Sox will be looking for a new ballpark at that point. Will it be out of town? Will it be in Chicago? David, honestly, I've never felt that the White Sox are moving anywhere and they are staying forever in Chicago. Well, let's talk about what the specifics are because it is a, I think, an inspired idea. I think it's a concept well worth considering. And to me, when you're talking about the White Sox, this is one of the more exciting pieces of news that we have entertained on the South Side in recent years, Bruce, because this is this is fun. This is full of possibility and potential, and it's a patch of land, the 78, if you will, at Clark and Roosevelt on the South Side in the South Loop, an area of, of, of the city where... You know, at one point in time, it was like, let's build a ballpark here and develop this part of the city. Now it's like, well, this part of the city is well-developed. Let's build a ballpark here. And it's not just a leverage play like I think the city of Nashville meeting with the mayor was. It's not something that defies logic or possibility. I think it's something that is well down the road as recently as, let's update people, Friday night – uh, Alderman Nicole Lee from the 11th Ward 
was briefed on the possibility of losing the White Sox and then moving from Bridgeport by Jerry Reinsdorf and by uh, officials from related Midwest who own the land. So this is this is possible, Bruce, and I think it's it's not something that is just one of these Chicago stories, one of these tales of let's do what we can to get a new deal, a better deal. I think that people need to really pay attention to the details, and it's my opinion that they're worth getting excited about. Well, I can inform you uh, and the rest of our listeners right now that uh, this should and could happen very quickly, okay? That is what my sources tell me on this, and that uh, if it does happen quickly, we don't know, as you said, it's owned by a group called the 78, and they own this property. This is not just about a ballpark that's going to be developed, okay? This is an entertainment area that so many of the new ballparks in the last 15, 20 years have had. And even going back to, to uh, Baltimore uh, when, when they built their ballpark right after the White Sox. The White Sox were among the first teams to have a new ballpark back in the early 90s, in 1991. And then Baltimore Camden Yards uh, kind of created the genre of not only having a new ballpark, but having entertainment areas, restaurants, bars, uh, other things to go along with it. And that is what the Chicago White Sox and their fans would have with a new ballpark in this area. It's exciting, Bruce, because you think about the scenic ballparks that we think about. You mentioned Camden Yards. How about PNC Park? You love the skyline. You love the view. This would be one of those uh, iconic views uh, if everything goes according to plan. And the plan calls for a ball, a baseball ballpark only. 35 to 37,000 seats. The parking infrastructure would be below Roosevelt Road according to initial uh, uh, plans. And you see the renderings and they take your breath away. It's something that the South Loop would become to the White Sox what Wrigleyville and Lakeview is to the Cubs. And that's, I think, one of the models to look at. And, yeah, we have all these conversations about the Bears moving uh, Soldier Field and looking at Arlington Heights and maybe even looking at 35th and Shields down the road. But the focus being with today's 9-11 to conversation on the White Sox in the South Loop at the 78 and the possibilities that exist. So let's set up the rest of the show. We're going to talk about this, 312-644-6767. We're going to shift and talk to uh, Cubs with Andrew Bassett and White Sox with Paul Janish throughout the show. He is the new Chris Getz, the director of player development for the White Sox on the south side. Andrew Bassett is the vice president for the Cubs. And, Bruce, we're also going to play one of our favorite games, Chin Music, as we continue to talk baseball here in January in Chicago. And, of course, we want your calls and texts. So this is, there's a lot to talk about, Bruce. There's a lot of things to consider. But I think Sox fans have every reason to be a little stoked here. Well, I think people in Chicago should be because we're, we're looking for feel-good stories in Chicago. We've heard nothing uh, in the last few years about except for – crime moving into the downtown area you know we have a new mayor now mayor johnson uh we're hoping that uh you know the police forces are beefed up that uh the issues that chicago has had in the past will start to go the other direction this would be uh something that you would have to work hand in hand with as well david with a uh, with a big structure and 81 dates in the south loop uh this would be something that's not um, unconvoluted. It, it's, it's, it's a little difficult because 
Uh, there's a lot of people living in those areas. Now, people could turn that around and say, well, look at Wrigleyville and how that's dealt with. Uh, th this is crowded in a different way. Uh, I would say that um, the, the access to the ballpark is the most inviting thing to the Chicago White Sox wanting to build here. Mm -hmm. You know, we talk about it being downtown, but why? Okay, well, 35th and the Dan Ryan is, is not a great place, okay? Construction has been brutal over the last decade at least, okay? Travel on the red line at night has been a problem, okay? Uh, these are issues that would be dealt with uh, directly and add how many thousands, David, to people wanting to come out and feeling good about the experience. It's a fair thing to say. The attendance would definitely be uh, increased because the accessibility would be increased. But I think there's got to be some absolutes that are accepted before we get any further in this conversation. And, and I think it depends on where you're coming from. But most, most reasonable people would agree that given today's economic climate in the city of Chicago, and really, let's face it, throughout cities in America, the public financing arm of any stadium project has got to be a non-starter. I, I just don't see how you can, you can, as a government entity, in this case the city of Chicago, be open to that idea. The state of Illinois, uh, Governor Prisker said it hasn't been broached to him yet. It hasn't been presented to him yet. But I do think, Bruce, that's going to be what everyone is looking at. There are creative ways. There are tax increment financing districts. There are ways you can get creative in a way that, that is publicly, privately financed, but it's got to be a non-starter. And that would put the onus then back on Jerry Reinsdorf, back on the investors in the White Sox, back on people who look at this as a private investment opportunity. Could it work? Absolutely. But I think you have to have some absolutes at the beginning of this process before we move much for, further forward. So, David, I have an absolute for you and the, and the listeners. According to the sources I talked to, Taxpayers will not pay more for this ballpark. They will pay what they've been paying now. We're not saying they won't be paying taxes, but this will not be an infringement on the taxpayers, according to the people I talked to. That's, that's kind of big news because it does answer a lot of people's questions about, well, the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois are hurting economically. We all know that, okay? Where does where uh, where does this extra money come from? And we're going to find that out in a very short period of time. How that money is established and how a ballpark that's probably going to cost what do you think, David, a billion dollars at least is built? At least Bruce. Wait, and hold where on. Does did, it... did you just say Jerry Reinsdorf's going to be uh, Houdini and not make something disappear, but money magically reappear? Look at all this cash we have to spend on the White Sox I didn't new say, ballpark. I didn't say Jerry Reinsdorf. He's oh, not my okay. Source. All right. All right. I just want to make sure that we're talking about the same hey, thing you're, here. You're trying, to you're trying to trick me after 40 years of doing this? I can't you trick you, Bruce. I like to me. try every Good week try. that I'm showing up for this show. Uh, before we get to the phone calls, 312-644-6767, we did have a serious conversation with Mark Gannis earlier this week on the Mullen Haw Show because Mark Gannis, as we have established – at this radio station, as anybody who follows sports and business in Chicago, he's the expert. He's the guy you go to in situations like this. Mark Gannis is the CEO of Sports Corp, and he talked about the relevance that would be increased and enhanced by the White Sox pursuing the South Loop ballpark. 
moving to a site like this with this kind of project would dramatically change the relevance and the perception of the White Sox in the Chicago area. Let's, let's, let's be clear. I mean, we don't have to you know, play games here. The White Sox are not only the second baseball team in Chicago, but there's a big gap between the Cubs and the White Sox. Uh, it wasn't that way 30 years ago. 40 years ago, uh, you know, but th- there were things that happened that most people won't remember, you know, the White Sox putting games on cable television yeah. before there was penetration, Harry Carey moving from the South side to the North side. Uh, we may remember that, but a lot of people don't. And there, once that happened, there was there all of a sudden from have, being a two team market, we became basically team number one and team number two. This is one of those very few things that could happen, opportunities that could happen that could alter that perception uh, and therefore alter the relevance of the White Sox in Chicago. This is one of those very few uh, that, that could happen. Bruce, relevance is a good word. So is resurgence. This would revitalize the franchise. Well, it would, rev- it would do a lot of things. First of all, the franchise is worth somewhere close to $2 billion right now. That's without owning a ballpark, Okay. Uh, that, that's that's significant. You have to understand that. Will the White Sox own this ballpark? Okay, that's that's something that we haven't heard yet. Okay, will it be a lease? Will it be a 30-year lease, or will it be something that they actually own property-wise? Uh, the the next step, of course, is 35,000 seats, which will be hopefully every seat in that ballpark is going to be a good a good seat. Okay, to look at from from the stands into uh, watching the, the Chicago White Sox play. Third and third of all, which hasn't been talked about much, is uh, the idea that when Jerry does leave the Chicago White Sox, either by natural or unnatural causes at some point, the White Sox are going to be sold. Okay, At that point, with a new ballpark, you could probably tack on at least a billion and a half dollars to the fees. Okay, So the responsibility of helping Chicago get a great new ballpark, a, a different legacy for Jerry and his family, and then selling it at a peak, uh, which is what is stated in his will uh, at, the, at the end of his uh, time uh, with us. Uh, those are all things that are being represented here. The Chicago White Sox and their fans deserve a new ballpark. Uh, it's antiquated at 35th and the Dan Ryan, even though it's been a, a serviceable ballpark. Nobody's ever gone there and said, this is wonderful, beautiful, great. It's a, it's a ballpark that has great food, great concourses, and a difficult time getting up and back to I want to push back at you at some point on that point specifically Bruce because I don't totally agree with that ballpark experience but I want to hear from our listeners because they have been patiently waiting and the score listener line is powered by BetQL bet smarter beat the books download the BetQL app today or visit betql.com let's start the conversation with a good buddy Mike and Glencoe Mike good morning and welcome inside the clubhouse Good morning, fellas. And, Bruce, I I think you were really hitting the nail on the head. Most Sox fans are cynical. Uh, They're glass-half-empty people with respect to baseball, but glass-half-full people with respect to life. And I don't think there's any question at all that this would be an extraordinary development for the city and the team. But I sit back and wonder two things. Uh, The timing. uh, I hit an office for 20 years that overlooked the, the 78. 
and there was never a shovel on the ground in that place, and it went through multiple owners. And I do think there's something funky about that uh, spot in terms of infrastructure development that's that's got to be a problem. But number two, I'm a little concerned this, that uh, – Mr. Reinstorf is spending so much time on this exciting project and so little time on the ball club itself. The uh, truck left for Phoenix the other day, and I don't think any Sox fan cared. They probably hope the truck gets lost on the way. It's just an extraordinary juxtaposition. You have an owner uh, developing a fantastic real estate deal for the team. At the same time, he's almost just walking away from the product on the field. This has got to be a prelude to an immediate sale, Bruce. I don't. What's your thinking? Thanks, Mike. Appreciate the phone call. Bruce, I don't see it as the inability of Jerry Reinsdorf or any any owner to not to be unable. The multitasking is part of it. I don't think that because you're pursuing uh, a ballpark project that is well and long overdue means you're going to be neglecting the ball club. I think in this case maybe you could make that accusation because the White Sox stink, but I don't think it's always the case. Well, the Bears stink, don't they? Yes, they do. Every, everybody wants them. Right? Yes, they stink. They're throwing billions yeah. at the, you know. They're the most profitable stink team come, in, in come the Come to Arlington Heights. We want to keep you in the city. Okay. Yeah. There, there's, a, there's a lot of reasons. Uh, and, and look, our fans are right. They're always right when they say, pay attention to us and getting a good team on the field. That's never wrong. That has to be paid attention to. But think about the monetizing of the Chicago White Sox and their ability for this owner, but in particular the next owner, to compete on a different level because of the economics of the new team at the new stadium. You build this ballpark right, you take advantage of this opportunity, and the next owner of the White Sox is not making a joke about them not pursuing the best free agent out there in the marketplace the way Jerry Reinsdorf dismissed the Sox pursuit of Shohei Otani. That won't happen any longer. Relevance would return, resurgence would happen, and you'd have the money to spend. That's a reality. It's called, it is called monetizing your franchise, okay? And the Chicago White Sox have always been, in the last couple decades at least, a mid-market, big city team, okay? It has been run like a mid-market. The, uh, the money coming in uh, to the franchise has been mid-market size. And Jerry and uh, the people that run the Chicago White Sox have run it that way. Uh, the Chicago Cubs, in the same town, 8.1 miles away from their ballpark, you know, run it like it's somewhere, uh, another city. It's, it's totally different. This would change the uh, dynamic of that. This would be, more importantly for fans, David, two teams that would be much more competitive against each other for the fans' interest every no year. No doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt about that. Let's squeeze in Ron, our buddy from the south side. Ron, good morning. Welcome inside the clubhouse. What do you think of this project? Good good, good hearing you in there talking to you, David. And good morning, Bruce. Uh, and Bruce, I just I was glad to hear I uh, know you always have reliable sources relative to public money. We already know uh, some of the issues you all that the city uh, is facing, and when they're asking for federal money, so so that's one one issue. I don't think it's uh, appetite to, for the taxpayers for this project, but uh, you know, uh, and, and you talked about the park, David, and, and you know I go to that park all the time. It's an average ballpark. It's average, but. What I'm thinking about, 
that area never took off. That area, what, maybe in the 90s when they got rid of public housing, that they projected that that area was going to be the next hot spot. And right. it just never took place, particularly on the east side where they had that Starbucks. But uh, unfortunately, that area never did take off. So, uh, But, you know, for the White Sox, I guess the time is perfect because there's not much else to talk about regarding the White Sox. So and you all have a good day. Thanks, Ron. Appreciate the phone Look, call. Uh, just fo- following up on that, David, the White Sox and Mayor Daley did not want – an entertainment area on 35th Street. Plain and simple. The White Sox wanted people to come into the ballpark, spend their dollars there on the great food and the beverages that you can get at the ballpark. It was thinking that worked maybe 30 years ago, but not for entertainment uh, in sports in the way families and people want to be entertained in 2024. You must have an area to go to entertain your fans and be able to enjoy the day with your family around the ballpark. This would solve a lot of issues. It would solve a lot of issues, but it also has to be consistent with the message from the mayor who has obviously come out against using TIF money for projects like this. It's got to be consistent with what you just reported or alluded to about the, you know, the public aspect of this financing project because it would be it would be a very expensive investment, worth worth it in our minds. But we're we're sports people, we're baseball people. We're, we're we can see, you know, uh, things that that are we may overlook certain aspects of this. But it can't be something that creates a public burden, much the way the Soldier Field renovation did back in two thousand and three, which turned out to be a great thing at the time. But boy, the city's going to be on the hook for that for a very long time, which helps explain why the Bears, one of the reasons why the Bears want to own their own stadium and why they're in this situation and predicament they're in now. Just uh, for a perspective going to break, and uh, Rodney and uh, Joe will get to you. Um, The Chicago, uh, where the ballpark is for the White Sox, the state of Illinois still owes an awful lot of money on that park, okay? I think there's still $60 million left to pay that off. So hopefully... uh, find a purpose for that, whether it's the Bears or, um, you know, I don't know, uh, the uh, crass media all-stars, whoever is going to play there. Uh, I would I would strongly advise, you know, the city of Chicago to find a new tenant there as well. I know it sounds like I'm getting ahead of myself, but I think it's necessary to be able to pay off that debt as well. All right, we are going to stick with this White Sox topic at the top of the hour, but we have a lot to go uh, yeah, in this show, we're talking baseball till 11 o'clock here on Inside the Clubhouse. We have Andrew Bassett, the Cubs vice president of pro player development, Bruce. or is it, He's a vice president of professional, professional scouting. scouting. Yes, yeah. excuse me. I want to get the title correct because he has been instrumental in players like uh, Shota Imanaga, who was made a big hit at the Cubs convention last week. We have him coming up after the break. We also have... Uh, more White Sox talk next hour and your phone calls, 312-644-6767. Bruce Levine, David Haw, inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 The Score. Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. 
Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Here we go. And Japan's manager very confident of this young man. Shota Imanaga. Look, this is a guy who's going to feature a pretty good fastball, good riding four-seam fastball. But his biggest pitch is that split. Can he throw it enough times to get the hitters off the fastball? Nobody destroyed left-handers like Paul Goldschmidt did last year. Got it. That right there was a good split. That's a guy that's understanding, hey, I'm going to rush him up and in, and then I'm going to slow him down with the split change right there. We're back with more Inside the Clubhouse with Bruce Levine and David Haw on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com. And always live on the free Odyssey app presented by Bet Rivers Sportsbook. Welcome back. It's David Hall with Bruce Levine inside the clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio 670 The Score, talking baseball until 11 o'clock, like we do every Saturday morning. And time now to bring in. A special guest who joins us on the Score Hotline, presented by Circus Sports Illinois, and that is Andrew Bassett, the Cubs' vice president of professional scouting. And you heard one of the one of the players and prospects that Andrew Bassett helped uh, bring to Chicago, Shota Imanaga, last spring in the World Baseball Classic, the lefty from Japan. Good morning, Andrew. Welcome to Inside the Clubhouse. How are you? Morning, David. Morning, Bruce. Thanks for uh, thanks for working around my schedule here a little bit. It's uh... It's very apropos for us to be here uh, talking about scouting as I'm in the middle of nowhere in Florida, just coming off a little bit of a scouting trip and probably running to catch a flight right after this. So well, thank you again. Cubs fans are thrilled to hear that you are busy. Let's start with Shota Imanaga, who made a quite a splash at the Cubs convention, sense of humor. But I think the best uh, thing about Imanaga is that Cubs fans envision sliding into the rotation, helping uh, a pitching staff that needs it. What can you say just about how hard it was for him uh, to you know, be to become a Cub and, and that whole process uh, going back to the beginning? Yeah, yeah. I'll start from the beginning. Um, you know, Shota's a guy who we've scouted for now. I think this this would have been probably the sixth season in a row that we saw him. Really, really started uh, in in 2019 uh, at the Premier 12 tournament, which is a collection of Premier amateur talent from across the world. It's actually the same uh, tournament where we initially identified Seiya Suzuki as a potential future Cub. Seiya was the MVP of that tournament, um, but Shota stood out really at, at at a you know relatively young age. Um, he he'd already been in the NPB at that point. Um, and then and then continued on and, and was really a, a, a dominant presence um, over the next five seasons as we continue to scout him. Um, one of the things I think that's really interesting about that about that process is you know Shota had been for a little bit of time like you know probably that 2020 to 22 22 seasons a guy who we felt like we knew really well from a scouting perspective from a broader evaluative perspective 
Um, but then, and I've talked about this elsewhere, but really made some some impressive adjustments um, in the in the course of the 2023 season. First off, I think we all saw him in the WBC. Um, he obviously really came out of the season uh, with a roar and um, was really impressive in that shorter relief role. And then was able to make some adjustments throughout the season as a starter. Um, he introduced a, a new slider that was really a nice weapon for him left on left. And then he also tweaked his splitter, which um, really allowed him to be more effective facing opposite-handed batters as well. Um, so those two things combined with the, the guy who we already knew very well, guy who was striking out guys in an elite rate, the guy who was getting pop-ups in an elite rate, um, and, 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 was, and was really dominating um, as a starter, Help, help us feel very comfortable about our evaluation and his eventual transition to, to the major leagues. Andrew, welcome to the show. Thanks for taking time out today, David, and I appreciate it. When you look at uh, smaller ballparks in Japan, when you look at uh, the tack on the baseball being the different different size baseball, what are your concerns and how do you uh, project how that's going to play in the United States when you're sitting down with, with Hoyer and uh, with the rest of the front office and deciding or not whether to spend uh, this huge amount of money and amount of years on a, uh, on a pitcher from another continent? That's a fantastic question, Bruce. I think, I think our, our NPB and our generally our, our um, you know, international pro efforts really a fun combination of traditional scouting and then I think what I'd call like translation scouting, which you kind of touched on. And I think when we talk about translation scouting, you're talking about a number of things. First off, you first and foremost, you have to talk about the person, right? Like the, the, the environment change from the NPB to, to uh, major league baseball from, from, in this case, from Japan to United States, is one that you know really hasn't been that 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 avenue hasn't been gone down by really that many players. I mean, it feels more commonplace now because of the influx of talent and how well that talent has has translated in recent years. Um, but it still remains a, a fairly um, not well trodden path. Um, so it's something that we really take very very seriously in terms of getting the makeup information on 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 the person who needs to make that transition. Because ultimately, that's what it's going to come down to: is their ability as a person to to um, thrive in a new environment. We also look at a few other things. You mentioned you mentioned the stadium size. That's certainly one thing that 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 plays into this. And showed as a fly ball pitcher, I think was susceptible um, at times to the smaller stadiums where, where the ball flies. I don't think that's any secret. Um, we also talk about the level of competition um, in Japan. Specifically, the hitters in Japan have really been in the midst of a sea change over the last few years, moving from what I categorize as more like a you know slap and dash style um, to, to to trying to find a little bit more power in their game. So that sea change is something that we have to to sort of take into account as we evaluate the pitching and, and the hitting as well. We also talk about in this sort of translation, we talk about the tools that players use. Right, as you mentioned, the ball, the ball is just different. But one of the things with Shota that we felt. That, that gave us a lot more comfort was one um, in the WBC. It was, it was clear that the ball was something he was comfortable with. And we also, we also had information that suggested that he was working out in the off season on his own, on his own volition with the, with the major league ball preparing for this transition. So this is something that's been on his mind for a while, something he's taken steps to, um, to sort of uh, mitigate in terms of the transition. Um, 
And then I think finally the other thing that we think about too is is the schedule. I mean, pitchers over there don't pitch as often. They um, oftentimes don't pitch as many times to the order as maybe major league starters here are being asked to. But I will say that the major league game has probably started to to resemble more of the MPB game um, in that way, with with teams giving their starters more rest. Um, limiting the amount of times they go through the order. If anything, that's probably less of an issue now. Um, but, yeah, those are probably the four pillars we look at generally when we're talking about players transitioning to the major leagues. All right, Andrew, so I'm not going to ask you if the Cubs are going to bring back Cody Bellinger because I think that's what everybody wants to know, and you can't answer that. But I am curious, in your role, in your job, what phase uh, of the calendar are we at? You said you were in Florida. I imagine it is busy. It never ends. certainly there's always one more guy to find and one more, you know, one, one more victory to celebrate in, in the scouting business. But what are you doing now? And, and how is what the Cubs are trying to put on the field in 2024 related to that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so I'll answer that in two ways. So one, I'm in Florida because this is workout season. So this is the time of year when pitchers um, generally who have been working on things throughout the off season to get better, um, whether that's at facilities like driveline or tread, um, where they, where they tend to showcase what they've been working on um, to get signed. Um, so, so that's, that's why I'm in Florida. There are, there are workouts going on, on all over the country, all over the world, really, um, with, with players sort of uh, showcasing themselves for the season. To answer the question I think everybody else wants to hear, though, is in terms of the offseason, I still think we're right in the heart of the offseason. Um, I think it's no secret that for a variety of reasons, the offseason was slow to start. I, I think I saw the list of, of remaining free agents yesterday. This is pre-Stevenson and pre-Hater, but um, it was probably 10x times the number of, of remaining free agents that were available at this point last year. Obviously, the market started to move. We've made two fairly significant moves as well, um, but I'd say we're I'd say we're right in the heart of the off season. Um, you know, there's obviously I don't think we feel like the team is 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 complete by any means. I don't think we ever feel like the team is complete, even, even as we enter um, spring training um, or the regular season. But yeah, I'd say we're, we're, um, we feel, we feel good about the moves we've made, but are, but are optimistic about um, the things on the horizon as well here between now and, and uh, February 13th and, and the regular season as well. Andrew, staying on a case like Bellinger, it's an interesting dynamic now that you're, going to be asked by Carter Hawkins and Jed Hoyer about a player that they've already had and that the Cub fans have already seen at Wrigley Field. And they're going to ask you in meetings, okay, our metrics people tell us, and this is already a player you have, that he doesn't have a hard hit uh, ratio that we like, that he had soft contact. You know, for the just the eye of the observer, you saw that the soft contact was a lot about the adjustment that he made to hit the ball to left field and choke up with two strikes in certain situations and get base hits the other way. When you're asked about a player like a Bellinger or another free agent that you're that familiar with, how, how fine-tuned can you be for them to talk about whether or not this is going to last for another three, four, five, or six years? Yeah, Bruce, another, I mean, that's really a beautiful question because I think it gets to the heart and, and sort of the heart of, of what I do, which is, which is, you know, scouting. And I think, you know, to answer the first part about Bellinger, obviously, and I think one of the reasons that, that, that maybe what you mentioned, the soft contact rate, like Cody, 
Cody, what he did last year was really become, I'd say, like a double plus, at least in scouting terms, um, in terms of controlling the strike zone um, and, and really turning himself into a premium contact hitter, um, which you know, is something that I think surprised us even a little bit. Um, and I think that allowed him to get, you know, in, in, in two strike counts, really to put the ball in play more, control the zone, and, 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 and putting that into a broader scouting perspective, I think, you know, what we're paid to do, um, and, and I think this, goes, this again goes to like sort of the heart of what scouting is at the moment, is we have so much technology and data right now that tells us what a player is down to the millisecond, right? We have stats that tell us what did happen. We have stats that told, tell us what should have happened, right? FIP or ERA plus in the context neutral situation. We have batted ball data that kind of peers even deeper into sort of what should have happened. Um, and then, and then I think, you know, teams are always sort of trying to get more deep into sort of those predictive stats, but what we're paid to do is to place bets on future performance. Um, and so sort of outside of Bellinger context, really just more in the, in the context of all players, what scouting is asked to do and what really none of our data has obviated the need for is really sort of to put all that whole picture together. Right, and to predict what a guy is going to be not just two months from now, but two years from now or 10 years from now. Um, and, so that's what a evaluation has become. Andrew, before we let you go, I really appreciate your time this morning. When you talk to groups of people about what the Cubs do different, what the Cubs do that maybe sets them apart, in your mind they have to do something that sets them apart. I mean, you, you work for them. You represent them, and you enjoy it, and you were promoted, and, and you have done it had some success. What is it about the Cubs organization that you believe they do better than than most other organizations? Well, there's a few things, and that's that's appreciate you asking that question. Yeah, I've been with the Cubs for a long time. This is my um, I believe my 13th, 14th season. Um, started with Jim Hendry, uh, really came up with with under Theo, and and have really um, taken on a leadership role under Jed. So. Um, been able to see see through the eyes of all three of those guys. Um, I think what all three of those guys, um, and, and really what the organization has tried to exemplify over the years, is really just an investment in people, um, an investment in people, um, and and developing people, um, allowing people to to grow into leadership roles within. Um, I think I think the Cubs more than any other team out there um, have have held on to people and have done a really good job getting people into the right roles. Um, so appreciate that question. I think I think um, it's not something that the organization probably gets a chance to talk about a lot. But um, yeah, I definitely think that that that's one of our uh, our separators. Andrew, safe travels back from Florida. Good luck on your next quest, and we look forward to talking to you again sometime and inside the clubhouse. Bruce, David, have a good rest of your weekend. Thank you. Andrew Bassett, the Cubs' vice president of professional scouting. Good stuff there, Bruce. Busy guy, and I like what he says about the offseason. I guess last week, if it was in the fourth inning on the Saturday, what are we, top of the fifth now? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's really good information that you got him to talk about, David, that even though we heard that from Hoyer last week at the Cub convention, getting it confirmed by somebody in the organization means shows you, it actually shows you how busy they are and how optimistic uh, Cub fans should be about additions still coming, that you're, you've only seen the tip of the iceberg of their offseason.
And when we come back, I know this is not US 99, but we do have some chin music. I love the chin music. And we're going to play our favorite game when we come back. It's inside the clubhouse. David and Bruce till 11 o'clock, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to the score. High and inside. For some chin music. Hey, yeah. How about a warning? Sure. Watch out you don't get killed. <laughs> because sometimes in baseball, you've got to send a strong message, especially when someone has it coming. Each Saturday, David and Bruce come in high and tight with a response to something that deserves one, like this. The talent that's in second base this year, to mm. Mike's point, is just is prohibitive. It pushed him off. I couldn't even get Nico Horner on my list, who's probably the premier, along with Hassan Kim, defensive second baseman. So I, I just didn't have room. Welcome back. It's Inside the Clubhouse, Chicago Sports Radio, 670 to score. David Hall, Bruce Levine, till 11 o'clock. Chin music, yeah. The MLB you Network. It, David, didn't you? Yes, I you did miss it, it, Bruce. I missed it. Since I took my little hiatus since the middle of Bears season, I, I like coming in high and tight, especially when it's deserving. I can't imagine, I can't imagine that there are nine second basemen in baseball better than Nico Horner. Gold Glove winner, Nico Horner, okay? Maybe this is provincial. Maybe it's Cubby Blue talking. But I tell you, Bruce, I saw him 10th on that list. 10th on that list? Come on. Really? You do have a man crush, don't you? <laughs> it's not a man crush. I did like seeing Nico last week at the Cub convention. Is there a more pleasant Cub to have an off-the-record, off-baseball conversation with the Nico Horner? I don't know. No, no, and he's also a part of the uh, SCORE family, too. He is, uh, yes. Know, every, every week. So, uh, no, he's a, he's a terrific individual, and that doesn't hurt. But based on just the players themselves – you look at that MLB top 10 list and, you know, it's, it's a joke. They have a, a guy number nine ahead of him that played 50 games. Now, admittedly, the Angels' second baseman had 14 homers and 14 steals. Pretty impressive in a short period of time. But Nico Horner, if the Cubs won 83 games in 2024, how valuable was he? Without Nico Horner on that team, how many games did they win? I know. Is it five less? Is it seven less? My, my point is, he does so many things so well that it has nothing to do with the Chicago bias. He should be number four on that list, okay? I, I think he's a top five, that, and I don't want to get carried away. I do think he's a top five second baseman in Major League Baseball, Bruce. You make a good point. Here's what also I think that we get to see or saw happen, which I think to me, it does make me a little bit more biased. When they signed Dansby Swanson... They did so knowing they already had a shortstop that could do the job capably. Nico Horner was that guy. Did he pout? Did he complain? No. He moved back to second base and said, thank you very much for making us better. And he played that position well, well enough to win a gold glove. And they did it the Chicago way, too. They bought him off. Okay. <laughs> of course. Why not? They gave him a, a nice extension. He, his life is good forever, okay? You get a $36 million extension, right? And your whole history, your family's history, everybody's history changes. That, that shouldn't be lost in the equation, you know? Uh, we think so much of you that we're going to guarantee you your future forever. 
and move you to second base. It's a nice way of getting pushed out of your position. No doubt about it. And here's the other thing about Nico Horner. He can get better. He's only going to get better. And, yes, last year he won a gold glove, but he only hit nine home runs at the plate. And I think he talked about that at the Cubs convention, increasing the power that will bring to 2024. You know, when you look at my game, the the obvious difference between what I do and what a lot of the game's best players do is is, is the difference in power, like you mentioned. Um, obviously something I'm aware of and, you know, looking to improve and I think just the, how you go about that is, is, is the main thing and I think holding on to your strengths is always going to be a key thing and you know, I take pride in you know, all parts of my game and I've always wanted to be a well-rounded player so of course I'm striving to, to improve in that area. What's realistic Bruce 15 to 20 home runs? I, I would say 20 home runs Here, here's the thing you don't want him to do let's go back and look at four years ago where he spent his first offseason in Chicago And he lifted weights to the point where he got so big that he he really impacted his skills. The next offseason, he went back to being Nico Horner again, uh, just being a a good ball player, young, young, strong kid. So you don't want to get into his head to the point of, we want you to change your swing. Okay, you can't do that dramatically. What you have to do is kind of like what Ryan Sandberg did in the 84 season after talking to Jim Fry, the manager, about it, looking for a ball on the inside part instead of to punch to right field. Take that ball and, and, and take it out, okay? Take a breaking ball and think pull once in a while. Center field, left field. There's an easy 20 home runs for a kid who is strong, as strong as uh, Nico Horner. You see the balls hit out there. They're, they're not weak singles and doubles. These are line drives. You don't want to go uh, totally, uh, you know, lifting the the swing at all. But there's 20 home runs uh, in the future of Nico Horner easily. And, you know, I I think with the less than 10 home runs came um, almost 80 RBIs or 80 RBI. That's impressive in itself. Very productive run producer. Looking forward to him adding power to his game at the play. A lot to like about Nico Horner. Gold Glove winner, top five, second baseman. I don't care what MLB Network says. Okay, Bruce, that first hour flew by. We've got a lot to talk about in the second hour, beginning when we come back. What is Jerry Reinsdorf's legacy going to be, and how might a stadium for the White Sox in the South Loop affect that? 312-644-6767. We're going to dive back in to the biggest sports story in Chicago this week. It's inside the clubhouse. Chicago Sports Radio, 670 the score. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. Listen to every MLB game live. In the deep left center field, it is high, it is far, it is high. Stream minor league affiliates. The Midwest League home run leader. And watch the best baseball highlights and look-ins on MLB Big Inning. MLB at bat is your all-in-one live baseball subscription for only $3.99 per month. Deep left field, it's going to go. Alvarez ties the game. Subscribe to at bat within the MLB app today. Major League Baseball trademarks used with permission.
We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.